Good morning. It is good to see you all. Hey, uh, my name is Kondo, for those of you I do not know, and uh, a special welcome if you are a guest with us. Uh, we've been praying for you, we've been preparing for you before we knew who you were, and we are so thankful that you chose to come and spend some of your morning here with us um, today. This morning, we are continuing a, a series that we started last week that we are calling Summer Walk. And if you've been with us for um, the course of the summer or any part of the summer, then you may be aware of the fact that we just came out of uh, a series in which we were talking about the freedom that we have in the person of Jesus Christ, that in the cross and in rising from the grave, that Jesus has unshackled us from everything that restricts us, everything that obligates us, everything that keeps us from living fully and freely the way we were designed to live. And as we explored the question of what does freedom look like, one of the things we stepped into was the reality that if we're really going to live in this freedom, if we're really going to enjoy um, the fullness of everything He's called us to, we're going to need to learn to walk by the Spirit. We can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it, do it in our own um, ability, but if we learn to walk by the Spirit, we'll find ourselves enjoying freedom and enjoying fullness and saying no to sin and living in more of the victory that Jesus Christ won for us on the cross, which led to the question, what does it look like to walk by the Spirit? Um, and uh, like I said last week, for those of you who were here, as we have this conversation over the next um, little bit, it is going to probably be entirely underwhelming to have this conversation because I think we tend to think about this idea of walking by the Spirit as these cataclysmic, these cosmic, these epic moments where we make these epic decisions, and yet what we'll discover is walking by the Spirit is about taking these steps every day because after all, you don't walk unless you take steps, and in each step taken, we find ourselves getting into a pattern called walking, but the steps themselves aren't necessarily always overwhelmingly profound. And so last week we started this by saying, if we're going to walk by the Spirit, we've, we've got to be people who read the Bible. And everyone stood in awe that we talked about reading the Bible at, at, at church. And um, yet for some of us, I trust the Spirit will spark in us maybe a renewed um, love for and a passion for the Word of God because you cannot walk with the Spirit of God and not spend time in the designated meeting place called the Word of God where He brings truth to life and He sows it deep in our own hearts. And so any attempt to, to walk and live in freedom uh, by walking in the Spirit that somehow bypasses the practice and the discipline of reading the Word of God is a futile attempt. And so last week we talked about reading 
the Word of God. By the way, at the end of this series, we are going to give um, you all a, a bunch of resources so that what starts as a, a walk in the summer uh, would be something that we find becomes a lifestyle. And that's why we're going to put on these boots and we'll be ready for all seasons. Uh, but we're going to give you some resources at the end of this series just so this becomes something that you don't need somebody to stand up and tell you this is how and this is what, but this becomes the passion and practice of our own lies for years and years to come. Um, this morning, we are going to have an equally profound conversation when I announce to you, drumroll please, uh, that the, the second thing we are going to need to learn to practice if we are going to find ourselves walking by the Spirit is prayer. We are going to need to be a people of prayer. And uh, no one uh, modeled this more than Jesus Christ himself. Uh, you know what's so interesting um, with, with, with Jesus um, is the way he so taught us what it looks like to walk by the Spirit through a lifestyle of prayer, which is so odd, because I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I think about Jesus, uh, I, I think about Jesus as having these God cheat codes. Um, I'm like, well, of course Jesus walked by the Spirit. He's Jesus. The Holy Spirit texts him all day and tells him what to do and tells him what to say, so that's very different. Jesus is unique, but it's amazing as you study the Scriptures in the New Testament how out of their way the authors went uh, to portray Jesus' humanity. That Jesus was fully God, yes, but he was also fully human. He experienced pain like we experienced pain. Um, he experienced appetites just like we experience appetites. He experienced temptation the way we experienced, experienced temptation. Jesus actually experienced this world in real time. It is always tempting for me to, to think Jesus came and he just cut shortcuts around his humanity. And the authors of Scripture love to remind us, no, he didn't. Jesus was God, but he did not use God, his godness, to somehow circumvent his human experience. And so it doesn't surprise us when we hear it said that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and, and favor with men and favor with God. And you read that and think, why did Jesus have to grow? Well, because he wasn't just God, he was man, and he grew into his human experience. Which means when Jesus learned your name, he didn't magically download it, he memorized it. And he worked to think about your name. If he had to learn calculus, he had to learn calculus in real time with real discipline and real effort. Can I just say again, Jesus was very God, but was very human, which brings so much hope to me, especially when I think about Jesus' miracles. That trips me out. Because be honest, when Jesus performs miracles, people typically think like, well, duh, of course. God performed a miracle, 
But again, as you study his, his journey, you see how much the authors emphasize his humanity. You know, let me show it to you. Uh, John chapter 2, um, Jesus' first miracle. We'll have this up on the screen um, for now. Jesus' first miracle. This is such a trip to me, and um, it's going to make sense to you here in, in a moment. Uh, this is John chapter 2, Jesus' first miracle. This is really awesome. This is a miracle where Jesus turns water into wine. Amen. Amen. Um, it says in John chapter 2, verse 1, look at this up on the screen. It says, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Key figure in this story, verse 2, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding because Jesus wasn't a jerk. He was a nice guy. People liked him. They invited him to things. I don't know about you. Verse 3, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother she said to him, very Ray Romano, passive-aggressive mom way, she, she said, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, eh, do whatever he tells you. After which, Jesus would go on to turn an unusual amount of water into wine very miraculously. Full disclosure, this is one of the main reasons why many of us follow Jesus. Because, come on, he is so very good to us. Uh, the moral of this miracle story is if he can do that for them, then he can do that for us. Amen. He's so good. No, the real moral of the story, actually is that Jesus was very human, and Jesus took no shortcuts. A friend and I were talking about this text uh, just a few weeks ago. I don't believe that Jesus is lying to his mother, nor do I believe that Jesus is somehow testing his mother. I legitimately think Jesus went to this wedding to hang out with some friends and to celebrate their festive occasion. I don't think that Jesus woke up that morning and put on his special winemaking sandals when he went to this event. I think he just showed up to hang out and be at a wedding. While he was at this wedding, the wine crisis of A.D. 30 broke out. And um, from all appearances, Jesus wasn't particularly perturbed by the absence of wine. Wonder why. Until his mother got involved. Jesus, wine ran out. And Jesus' response in essence is like, and? Well, insinuation, do something. And Jesus says, nope, my time to start performing miracles has not yet come. So no thanks. Mom says, mm, whatever, just bring him all the water and uh, or just do whatever he tells you to do. Jesus says, nope, my time for performing miracles has not come. Quick question, Jesus, how do you know that your time for performing miracles has not come? Well, because the Holy Spirit 
hasn't yet told me. When it's time, the Holy Spirit will give me some kind of a sign this just in. Hmm. Mama, you're the sign. You're the sign. And then Jesus performs his miracle, and everybody parties that night. I don't think Jesus was lying. Jesus could have God-coded all of the information and just known, hey, today at about 7 p.m., I am going to turn water into wine. But what this reveals to me is Jesus was functioning in his humanity, and he literally was saying, I'm not supposed, okay, yes, I am. As he somehow heard and was sensitive and was walking by the Spirit, realizing in that moment, real time, oh, the Spirit just spoke through my mom. And it launched his miraculous career. How did Jesus learn that kind of sensitivity, that kind of walking by the Spirit? Because I want that. And I know for many of you, you, you want that as well. Well, Jesus had a little secret that he didn't work really hard to hide. Um, and it's called prayer. Uh, Luke says it this way in Luke chapter 5, verse 16. It says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus was a man of prayer. Again, Jesus the God doesn't need, pray for what? But Jesus the man was constantly praying. It wasn't an occasional thing he did every now and then. It was a habitual thing so that when the Holy Spirit led him through his mom at a wedding, it wasn't so much this moment of divine download or this moment of divine revelation as much as it was the fruit of a cultivated discipline of prayer. See, some of us want to show up at the wedding and be walking with the Spirit, and what we learn is, no, Jesus had been walking in prayer. He had been living in this discipline of prayer. And if Jesus learns to walk by the Spirit through cultivating a practice of prayer, we must, too, if we have any desire, to walk with the Spirit. And so by Luke chapter 5, which we um, saw here up on the screen, his disciples have deciphered Jesus' discipline of prayer. By Luke chapter 11, the disciples are now hungry for it. We see you sneaking off and doing this prayer thing all the time. Would you please teach us so we can get in on the pattern and the practice of prayer too? And what ensues in, in Luke chapter 11 is Jesus teaching his disciples how he does this prayer thing in what has famously become known as the Lord's Prayer. Um, if you have a copy of the Bible, you can feel free to turn to Luke 11. That's where we'll be. If you don't own a copy of the Scriptures, we would love to get one into your hands. If you stop by the Connection Corner, um, love to hand one 
to you. But again, for this morning, we'll have the verses up here on the screen for you to follow along. Um, And I would say, again, I don't know if you're a note-taker or you're not a note-taker, but today, be a note-taker, whether you're using your fancy device or whether you are um, writing with ink on on paper. I'd encourage us um, to just jot down some of these thoughts uh, that we glean from Jesus' words to his disciples. Luke chapter 11, verse 1, here's what it says. One day, Jesus was doing that thing he did often, praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus answered, when you pray, say, Um, By the way, let's pause here for a quick second, and so that we're all on the same page, let me just make very clear, as sophisticated and complicated and philosophical as this idea of prayer might become, when we speak about prayer, we're talking about having a conversation with God. We're simply speaking about having a conversation with God. That's all prayer is. Um. Jesus' followers knew that Jesus talked with God constantly, and they wanted in on it. Teach us this conversation with God thing. And I love Jesus' generous response. He says, well, when you pray, say. I love that Jesus doesn't say, pray, mm -mm, whoa, 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 prayer, mine. Um, He says, when you pray, and in saying that, Jesus is opening wide the door for prayer. He's opening wide the door for expressing um, ourselves to God. He's opening wide, by the way, the heart of God for us to pray. In case you've ever wondered, God wants you to come and pray. Jesus doesn't even hesitate. He doesn't pause. He doesn't give contingencies. He says, absolutely, I'll teach you to pray. Because prayer is not just for Jesus and some select priests. If you're a follower, um, you have a key to the house. Come chat with God anytime. And then Jesus teaches them how to show up, when they show up, to have a conversation with God. And what comes next is is a template. What comes next is Jesus gives us a model for prayer if we're going to become those who live in the pattern and practice of prayer. Um, And by the way, Jesus is not giving so much a formula to memorize. I know that for many of us, we grew up and we memorize the Lord's Prayer, and on special occasions, we may all recite it um, together. But Jesus is not necessarily communicating a prayer formula uh, to memorize and recite. He's giving a template to give some direction for how to pray. Jesus isn't necessarily saying, pray this. As much as Jesus is saying, pray like this. Pray this way. And then he starts to to teach them um, how he prays, and he starts to teach them how um, God loves um, us to pray. And he says in the um, the second part of verse 2, Father, 
hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Father, and, 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 and right there, one of the first things we learn from Jesus about, about prayer, if you're going to pray like I do, if you're going to pray the way God wants you to pray, hey, start by calling him dad. Call him father. This would have blown the disciples away. No way. I can't call him that. I'm sorry, Jesus. It almost sounded like you said, call him dad. <laughs> no way. I can't do that. There's no chance I can call him dad. Listen, I, we grew up, and, and, and the disciples would have had as much trouble with this as many of us will. Jesus, maybe you didn't know. We grew up, and all of our lives, all we heard about was this holy mountain that we weren't allowed to approach because God lived on it. All we heard all of our lives was this special room called the Holy of Holies that we weren't allowed to come near because God lived in it. We're not even allowed to put the vowels in his name when we write it because his name is holy and we are to keep away. He is God. And now you're saying, call him dad? Yep. If you're going to pray the way I pray, if you're going to pray the way he wants you to pray, you start by saying, Hi, Dad. This is a trip, and I know some of you are tripping out right now, but we'll come back to your tripping in a second. Um, something so beautiful is communicated in this simple word by Jesus. Jesus is telling us, hey, can I tell you something about prayer? Prayer is primarily about relationship. Prayer is primarily relational. It is about kids who are coming to have a conversation with their dad. Call him dad. And whatever Jesus says next is not intended to overshadow this relational connection that happens when we have conversations with God who is our dad. Whatever Jesus is about to tell us cannot become formulaic. It's not this formula. And if it becomes formula instead of this relationship thing, then we're going to find ourselves saying, I didn't say the Lord's Prayer right, and I missed a portion of the prayer, and I, I put this out of order, and it wasn't correct, and now, oh my goodness, my request is going to be filed at the bottom, and I'm not going to get what I need for years and years and years and years. But it's not about a formula. This is about relationship. Call him dad. I love that in Jesus' words. We are deepening relationship with our Father as we pray. This is huge for us. I know this is huge for me because I grew up in the church, and I grew up in the church much like Jesus' disciples would have grown up. And in, in my upbringing, God was um, angry all the time. God was uh, the mad judge 
God was constantly measuring and weighing how much I had sinned on a given day. I was scared of God. That was our primary relationship. He was God with a gavel in his hand, and he was just waiting for me to mess up again so he could say, I got you guilty and stay crabby at me. God was an angry judge. So for me to hear Jesus say these words is incredibly powerful and also difficult to absorb. Call him dad. For most of my life, I have not explicitly said this in prayer, but I've approached him as mad judge. I know you're probably angry because of something I didn't do. But I know I'm supposed to come and talk to you, otherwise you'd be more angry with me. So I'm caught somewhere between your anger, holy judge. And so my primary approach to God was not God as dad or God as father, but God as judge. I don't know how you start your prayers, but what I know is that if we're honest, the majority of us who grew up in the church, can I just say this, especially men, you hear us say, call God dad, and you're like, "Mm, mm, mm." nope, let alone call him daddy. Like, I'm out. See ya. New church for us. This is really difficult because of the perception we've had of of God. And it's not primarily relationship, it's legal. It's this legal thing we have going on with him. And yet Jesus is saying, if you're going to pray like I pray, call him dad. Call him daddy. I don't know how you start your prayer, but let me tell you what Jesus is announcing to us is the way God wants to be addressed by his kids is as father, is as Dad is as daddy. And if you feel uncomfortable with that, hey, suck it up. Because this is what God longs for from us. And men, I know my kids have no problem doing this with me. And I can't imagine if they approached me and they opted to call me, hey, thou studly moneymaker. Thou art like we would not have meaningful interactions. In fact, my suspicion is they wouldn't come to talk to me if they viewed me as as judge or they viewed me as some kind of a. They wouldn't come and talk. And for many of us, that's part of the reason we don't have a lifestyle of prayer. It starts with how we perceive God as judge or unapproachable or whatever else it is. And so when we come to him, we approach him with these lofty titles, thou sovereign creator of the universe, who art dwelling in whatever. And Jesus will say, just call him dad. He really likes when you do that. Some of us need to whisper that word to our souls, dad, Daddy, until we can speak it through the heebie-jeebies we initially feel and find ourselves engaging our Father in relationship through prayer. Because I'm telling you, the more we view Him as Dad relationally, the more we will go to Him. It's why I hear Dad 17,000 times a day. Versus if they were forced to call me, 
Reverend Simfukwe, who worketh at the church. That would be weird, man. Some of you are weird when you pray. But this is a beautiful invitation to engage our dad. You're my dad. Your house is my house. So excuse me if I come unannounced to have a conversation with you. And Jesus would say, that's how you pray. Dad goes on, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. I think this is an invitation not just to call him dad, but to recognize his place. Um, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is sometimes translated holy, and, and, and really the idea here is being set apart, which is so interesting in, in light of calling him dad. But it's this idea of God being set apart. Dad, can I just acknowledge there is no one like you. There is no one above you. There is no one who compares to you. There is no one who comes close to you. You are in a league of your own, greater than all, more powerful than all, more beautiful than all, more majestic than all. You are set apart. You are in a league of your own. Hallowed be your name. Jesus says when you come to him, your dad recognize his place. Now, Jesus isn't saying that when you pray, you have to use the words, hallowed be your name. But saying something like it teaches our hearts to recognize how amazing and entirely set apart our God is. So why not practice saying something to that effect? Dad, hey, you're amazing. Before I get into anything else, Dad, can I just say, <laughs> you are awesome. You're the best. Can I just say, you are epic. You're the goat. Can I just say, Dad, you are the savagest. I don't know how you communicate his complete otherness to him, but Jesus would say, when you pray, tell your dad how absolutely set apart, recognize his place. And you can see why Jesus would encourage us to pray with this posture. Um, when my daughter was born, and there was a concern that she might have a brain tumor of some sort, can I just tell you, um, I didn't just need sweet dad. I needed savage dad. I needed to come to a dad who is stronger than every sickness. When, when, when I experience anxiety as a dad, as a husband, or anxiety as a leader in the church, I don't just come to a, a dad who, who hears me and understands me. No, I come to an epic dad who is greater than whatever thing I fear that stirs the anxiety in me. What Jesus is saying in this part of the prayer is, hey, you are not just coming to a dad. You are coming, to, your dad is the dad. He's the greatest dad above all dads. 
And when you're going through a crisis and unemployment is lasting a little longer than you would hoped, it is good for you to know you're not just coming to someone who can be compassionate. You're coming to a God who can absolutely do all things. With him, nothing is impossible. Jesus is saying, recognize his place. You, you aren't just my dad. You are epic. You are awesome. This is intended to instill in us a sense of awe and a sense of incredible confidence. When you pray, do you believe you're coming to a heavenly dad who's greater than all? For some of us, that's part of why we just don't pray. It's like he's, I believe he's dad, and he's really sweet. He hears well, but can he do anything? And I love what Jesus says. Your dad is greater than all. And he continues, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And I think this is an invitation to prefer God's agenda, to prefer his agenda. Your kingdom come is an acknowledgement that if God is above all things, then his agenda must be above all agendas, including mine. Your kingdom come. This is the acknowledgement that, hey, before my stuff, your stuff. May the things you want win over the things I want, no matter how much I want them. Your kingdom come. Your agenda first. This seasons my prayer, not just with confidence, but this seasons my prayer with, with humility. Do you know how hard it is to teach this to our kids? And especially how hard it is to teach this to us adults. It is not about you. It's never been primarily about you. When I wake up in the morning and I look in the mirror, life is so about me. And this is a reminder, humility, your kingdom come. Your agenda trumps my agenda, your way over my way. Because we can't believe God is greater than all and then somehow believe, but there are sections in my life and the desires in my world that take precedence. Oh, no, his agenda must be greater than my agenda. It is not ultimately about me. And the minute I start to think it's about me, it's going to mess with not just the order of how I pray, but the order and sequence of my life. I'm going to show up and I'm going to think life is ultimately about me, which again, I think is one of the reasons that many of us just struggle to pray. Because A, it starts to change this 
thing called prayer from a relationship to something other. God becomes the cosmic vending machine who's in the sky. And I get super hissy if I put in a quarter and my Snickers bar gets jammed on the way down in the chute or I don't get what I want. I quit praying and I start to make accusations about God is not good. He must not be awesome. Why not? Because I had an agenda and he trumped my agenda with his agenda. But when I begin by saying your agenda over my agenda... I think for some of us, that's a disappointment. We've asked God for things we wanted, and he said, no. And because the way we prayed and the way we think about life was what I want first, that just broke and devastated us. And Jesus was saying, no, recognize this place and prefer his agenda. And then again, it doesn't become about relationship because when I believe it's about my agenda, I will only pray when I need something. When I'm in a crisis, when the wine runs out, oh man, then I'll pray. But again, if we think it's primarily about us and what we want, it stops being about relationship. And again, I don't think you have to say your kingdom come every time you pray, but it means there's a growing posture in our hearts. My resignation comes before my requests come. Your will comes before my wants come. And if I don't get what I want, so be it if you get what you want, Dad. This was Jesus' posture in the garden as he, he, he had a conversation honestly with his dad. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to be separated from you. That's not what I want. But ultimately, your kingdom come. And in Matthew's version of this prayer, it adds Jesus' line here, your will be done, not my will, but your will be done. Is that your posture, that I prefer God's agenda over my agenda? This is a prayer, by the way, that takes time to learn, and this is a prayer that is going to be hard for us to truly mean, but what a beautiful thing to start saying your agenda over my agenda until the Spirit of God starts to help us to truly believe it. And then verse 3, Jesus carries on, give us each day our daily Bread. This is just an invitation to express your need to your dad. Express your need to your dad. I love the sequence of this prayer, by the way. Hey, dad, you're amazing. But lest I be tempted to say, hey, daddy, boom, 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 you're super. I want to be reminded you're not just cute dad, you are savage dad. And then Jesus says, hey, and, and, and it's, it's his agenda comes first. And, and before I'm tempted to say, well, okay, well, your agenda comes first. You don't care about me. He says, no, 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 no. Hey, tell him what you need. It's beautiful in its sequence, the way Jesus lays this out. Give us this day. Each day, our daily bread, this expression of need. Again, the idea of asking for daily bread isn't some kind of like an underhanded, low-key, you know, pro-gluten wink, you know, from God or anything like this. Um, Give us each day our daily bread is a request for what we need. Dad, would you please give me what I need today? Jesus is saying when you go to God, freely express your 
need. And by the way, um, there's also this beautiful undertone. I don't even know if it's super undertone. I think it's just a tone of dependence on God. You notice he said, give me today what I need. Give me each day what I need. It's a beautiful, beautiful statement of dependence. Give me what I need today, Dad, because I'll be back tomorrow. It's this daily expression of dependence. And uh, by speaking about bread, let me just say this really quickly. I don't think Jesus is simply speaking about physical needs like food and clothing. In fact, if you were to put me in a corner and you were to press me, I would say I actually think he's doesn't have our physical needs in mind primarily when he says bread here. I think it's more a request to our dad for what we need spiritually from him to get through the day. Oh, let me, okay, if Jesus is speaking primarily about our physical needs, A, I'll tell you what concerns me. This might explain why we in the West just don't pray very much. Because what happens, say, for example, if you have bread in the fridge, if that's where you happen to keep it, or if you have cornflakes in your pantry, what happens then? What happens when you have four clothes? and winter clothes that are sitting in storage. I'll tell you what happens. Hey, Dad, we're good on the bread. Amen. I don't have any physical needs for today. Most of us sitting in this room don't have any physical needs. You have bread for days. And so I think it affects us when we think of this physically. It's like, I'm sorry, God, you're great, but I've got my 401k, I've got my car, I've got my house, the bills are paid, there's food in my fridge. So this daily bread thing, I'm sorry, it doesn't apply to me. But hey, give today daily bread those poor Africans who are starving like crazy. I don't think Jesus primarily has in mind physical Needs. I think he has spiritual needs in mind. Um, I think Jesus is saying, your agenda over my agenda. But God, if I'm going to partner with you and if I'm going to participate in seeing your agenda become a reality in this world, give me what I need so I can be part of living for your honor in this world. I'll tell you one of the reasons I think that, because after Jesus talks about prayer here, he gives an illustration in this same passage. We'll look at this a little more next week, but look at what he says in verse 11. We'll put it up on the screen. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Um, I know some. Um, Verse 12, or if he asks for an egg, a physical thing, will give him a scorpion. In a parallel passage, Jesus adds, or asks for bread, would give him a stone. And then he says in verse 13, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the what? So this thing you want us to ask our dad for may not be some physical bread or physical fish. 
I think Jesus has in mind more coming to him and saying, Dad, I need from you everything to get through this day spiritually in a way that helps your agenda become a reality in this world. Um, I think this is saying to, to him, Dad, I don't know what today will hold. I don't know what I may need spiritually, but you know, and so give me what I need to get through this day in a way that honors you. I have no idea what weddings may run out of wine and what miracles might need to happen. I don't know, but you know. So would you give me what I need today to help bring great glory to your great name? I have no idea what hurts my child will nurse today. I have no idea. See, we think we know because it's in our planner, but this is an acknowledgement. I don't know what I'll need in order to live life for you. I have no idea what bad news will shatter the world of my cubicle neighbor at work, so give me what I need to show up in their space. I have no idea what opportunities you might give me today to show off Jesus in my world, but would you please deposit what I need spiritually by your Holy Spirit so that when those moments come, I am ready to live them out. I don't know what I need today, but I'm going to depend on you. By the way, this sounds like a great argument for starting your day with prayer. I don't know what this day is going to require. Coffee, but first prayer. Okay, both together at the same time. I have no idea what this day will hold but I know I need you, because you know as well as I do. All it takes is one person to flip you off five minutes after you left the house, and you lost your religion, and his agenda becomes incidental to you, and you are like you turning. I'm kidding. We don't get out of the house. We barely get through breakfast before a fight breaks forth of 2018, and we're arguing. You're like, I had no idea I would need this great, a batch of grace this early in the morning, but you knew. And so can I just start my day by saying, give me what I need spiritually to run into the places and bring great honor to you when I get there. Daily bread. And then he says, forgive our sins for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. It's a request for his forgiveness. This is the idea of requesting his forgiveness. Uh, my kids um, who are in the service right now can testify to the fact that um, last night my wife and I had a, a bit of a tiff um, over a, um, a board game. And um, whatever... You judge yourself. So judgy. You don't know. You weren't there. Um, she said some things. I, <laughs> I said some things. She said sorry. I did not. It was implied. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, but afterwards we had a brief conversation. And I wanted to know, like, hey, is, is there anything else we need to deal with? Is there anything in our way is there because neither of us wanted to live with this any static between us um that's what jesus means here prayer is 
about relationship with our dad. This, this request for forgiveness is just our way of saying, I know I mess up every day in ways I mean to and in ways I don't, in ways I intend to and in ways I don't, ways I plan to and ways that just like oops ways. I know that I do so many things that are, are sinful. And would you please, would you please remove any static that's standing between me and you, Dad, because I want to look on your face. I want to know you. I want to be close to you. I don't want any interference. So would you please clear the path so you and I can interact in relationship? And oh, I want to live my life for the sake of your agenda and for the sake of your kingdom in this world. Would you remove anything that may become a chain on my ankle preventing me from running fully and freely? Forgive me of my sin. Remove whatever is keeping me from seeing you and running for you. Forgive us of our sins. And oh, by the way, Dad, thank you for clearing the path for me. And um, I am going to be sure that I clear the path for others, that I remove whatever static is standing in the way of me relationally engaging with someone else. I will forgive as well. It was striking to me when um, in college we learned why the Dead Sea is dead. And many of you know this because water flows into the Dead Sea, but water does not flow out of it. It just stops. And I just want to say, I think even in this prayer, there is the statement about the way that unforgiveness will kill dreams, will kill calling, will affect our prayer. If God says, I am pouring forgiveness into your soul on a daily basis, and then you jam it up and you refuse to let forgiveness flow through you to the people who wronged you, either because they meant to or it was an oops situation, it's going to jeopardize your prayer and it's going to jeopardize your usefulness in this world. Jesus says, pray that God would clear your path, but also make it your practice of clearing the path for others. For some of us, that's why our prayer is emptied of its power. For some of us, that's part of why we don't pray, because Jesus says, if you're going to pray and talk to your dad, and you remember that you have beef with someone else, Jesus says, get out of there, go deal with that beef, then come back. And for some of us, it's like, I like the beef. And it affects and holds us back in prayer. I love this prayer, though, because it's a reminder that God is so keen to clear whatever stands between you and Him. If you would just simply make the request on a regular basis and lead us not into temptation. This is a plea, keep me pure, keep me pure. I don't want to be the kind of person, Dad, who just says, forgive me and clear the path so I can just put more obstacles in the path. No, help me to be somebody who lives in a way that keeps the path pure, that keeps the path clear, so that I don't intentionally put things in the path that obscure your view and limit, obstruct my usefulness. Keep me 
pure. I love this. This is a prayer that God who knows all, Dad, you know what my day is going to hold, and you know the pitfalls. I don't know how it works for you, but for me, all it takes is seeing one thing, and that thing triggers something in me that tempts me. All it takes is hearing a song, and that song will send me to a place. All it takes is hearing one person criticize me in a certain way, and all of a sudden I'm triggered, and I'm tempted, and off I go. And the enemy loves to set these traps so that I walk straight into them. I was having a good day till you showed up and you said that insensitive thing. And now I'm tempted and now I'm derailed. And this is a prayer that says, you know the path my day is going to take. Would you please clear it of any traps? Would you please clear it of those pitfalls where I'm typically tempted? And before you know it, I have blown off the handle and there's tension in the home. Please protect me from those pitfalls. By the way, this is not a prayer that God would somehow magically sprinkle dust over your eyes so that you know you would keep it clean while you're hanging out eating the wings at Hooters. This is not what that is. This is not about you putting yourself in compromising positions and saying, keep me out of temptation. God will say, keep yourself out of temptation. But there are traps that may tempt you. Now those I will take care of. But you know you're going to need me for that. So hey, Dad, would you please clear the path of traps and redirect me? That's why some of you run into trains sometimes. And you complain. <laughs> God, it's like, I'm sorry. I'm just keeping you out of a situation. So just thank me. You don't know. But this is an incredible prayer for us to pray. And then when Jesus is done teaching them um, this prayer, he invites his followers in the next section to ask boldly for the Holy Spirit. And I believe he is the primary place Jesus means when he speaks about bread. Our team, why don't you guys come on out even as we wrap um, this up. But here's what Jesus teaches us through his life. If you're going to walk by the Spirit, it doesn't start in those big and epic moments. It's these daily moments where I'm choosing to show up and talk to my dad in prayer. Um, I want to leave you with a, a seven-day prayer challenge. I dare you to do this, and I dare for you to, to get through it without it changing your life, if you should accept it. This is a very possible mission, by the way. Um, seven-day challenge. Choose one thing and focus on it. For some of us, it's about starting the day with prayer. Before I do anything else, I'm going to pray for seven days. I've never done this, but I'm going to start to do this, and this is going to be the practice for the next week. Ooh, watch out. And for some of us, it's going to be, I cannot call God dad without the heebie-jeebies. Maybe that's connected to my own dad. Maybe that's connected to the way I've viewed him in the past. But I'm going to choose to call him dad and pray that something breaks through and there's some healing in that space. And I start to see him as an approachable God who wants me to come to him. Maybe that's the, the challenge for you. For some of us, the challenge is to start your prayer by telling God three ways you know him to be awesome. God, I typically show up into this space and I get straight into the list of I need this from you and this from you and... Okay, Dad, you are this, and you are this, and you are this. I'm going to start by telling him three things that are amazing about him. For some of us, it's going to be seven days of asking, would you show me if there's any place of unforgiveness in me? For some of us, it'll be ask God to lead you away from unexpected temptation. 
which is another reason to start the day that way. Because many of us are like, oh man, oops, it happened again. I'm like, listen, Brittany, you could have asked God at the beginning to lead you away from some of these places. Maybe for us, that's seven days and see if we don't start to experience some, some freedom. And for some of us, it's ask for more awareness of the Holy Spirit in your day. I dare you to do this for seven days and see what starts to happen. See if prayer isn't something powerful. See if we don't find ourselves starting to take steps that we can't recover from. Starting to take steps that introduce us to the Spirit walking alongside us. Starting to find wind from heaven that allows us to live in the fullness of all that He calls us to do and all that He calls us to be. Seven days, I dare you. Should you accept it? Why don't we stand together? Lord, I thank you so much that even now we are in your presence. And Dad, you want us to be here. And you want us to know you. And you want us to have a conversation with you. And in doing that, we'll find ourselves walking in your spirit more and more and more. You're amazing. We praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name. Amen. Even as we sing, the Spirit of God is here and, and our God is great. Our dad is great. If you need somebody to pray with you about anything at all, we're going to have some folks come on up. Small group leaders, elders, if you're here, could you please just start making your way up. We would love to pray with you um, for the Lord to show up in your space and to answer uh, your prayer and to show himself greater in your world. So feel free to come on up. If you need to sneak out, by the way, and go get your kids, please do that. We're family here. You can come and you can go. So feel free to do that even as we close in song.